Thank you, Jeremy. I bet nobody's life verse that they have crocheted up in their house is, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately darkness fell upon him and he went about. Yeah, that's probably not your life verse this morning, but the text is a powerful and compelling text that we uh, will spend a few moments with this morning. We're privileged to have Brother Samuel Rajkumar with us, and he'll be sharing uh, some of the practicum of this text and how it fleshes out there in Bangalore and around the globe. But I want to bring for you Acts 13. Let me back up just a hair. If you're visiting with us this morning, it's our delight to have you with us. If it's your first time with us, thank you so much for being here. For your first time joining us online, we're grateful that you are worshiping together with the church. Let me encourage you to just let us know about your visit. We make a contribution for every completed guest card that we get to a local ministry, and um, it's a joy to do that. So you can use that envelope in front of you or the digital card online to let us know that you're there. Why do we do that? So we can connect with you and pray for you. It's been our joy to do that these days. Over the past two weeks, we've spent some time focusing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Of course, it made sense on Easter Sunday, come and see John chapter 20. Then last week, Luke 24, go and tell. Jesus said to them again, Luke 24, 47, and peace I give unto you. As the Father has sent me, even so now I am sending you. So come and see, go and tell, and now we come to the first missionary journey that happened. We're going to pick back up in Exodus starting next week, and we'll actually finish Exodus out over the coming weeks. But I wanted to take this opportunity and just marvel at the goodness of our God to have this text before us today. Those of you that were in the Sunday school classes, the Bible study classes that met earlier this morning are going, wait, we just read this. That's right. You probably saw the heads up I gave you earlier this week online, but here we are, the church being sent to the world. And if you missed it, adults, you can join in tonight at 6 p.m. online for that Bible study. If, if we're thinking about the text here with Saul and Barnabas and them being sent out on this missionary journey, let me bring you up to speed a little bit for context. This is a little unusual for us because normally we spend so much time in a book that we know exactly where we are. Let's talk about Acts 12. Acts 12 was where we get the account of Peter's deliverance. It was pretty awesome how Peter got out of jail. Acts 11, if you back up, is where this church, Antioch, was birthed. It's a Jewish church and a Gentile church. That's a new thing. They're reaching Jews and Gentiles together. They're already doing it in the community. And so Acts 12 happens with Peter's deliverance, and it's kind of this parentheses between Acts 11 and Acts 13. And all the young people are going, uh, guess what we learned at church today? The preacher told us that 12 comes between 11 and 13. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, so the Peter story there is told on purpose. Saul and Barnabas have gone back to the church at Jerusalem in chapter 11 from Antioch to make a, a gift. Many in Antioch had heard about the suffering in Judea and decided they were going to give sacrificially and generously to the brothers in Judea and sent the offering with Paul, Saul, and Barnabas back to Jerusalem. It's pretty awesome, right? The missionaries brought an offering to the sending church. Sam, did you bring anything? This No. No, okay, just checking. Um, that's what's happening here. That's happened in number 11. 
And then we come to chapter 13, picking right back up. Saul and Barnabas have come back to Antioch, and they brought John Mark with them, and they've heard about Peter's release, and they're excited. And then we get the unfolding of what's happening before us. Now, let me just quickly say there are a few elements here. This is an apostolic age. You see some things happening that are distinct to this time that are not necessarily distinct to our time now, but we still have much to learn from the text. Uh, Church family, be encouraged this morning. Uh, Guests, uh, don't get too accustomed to this. I'm going to be extremely brief to give Samuel the time that he needs to open up and share the practical aspect of this. Here's some points of observation I think are profound in the first two verses. The first thing that happened that I noticed in Acts 13, if you've got your Bibles, just look there at verse 1. I would make this note if I were taking notes this morning. Hint, hint, wink. Take the pen out, make a note. Ready? They were gathered together. That may seem like a no-brainer, but boy, that means something to us in 2021, doesn't it? With all of the pandemic and the struggles over the last year, that word together is so special and so sacred And it still is today. And I was talking with Brother Samuel just on Friday evening. I was asking about some of the challenges. And just imagine for yourself churches that are planted relationally and the challenge they have when they can't be together to make disciple-making disciples. It's an interesting challenge. This church was gathered together, and I want you to notice just let me nerd out as the preacher for a moment with you. This was a diverse leadership team let me tell you about the team that's there they were already reaching jews and gentiles in antioch but barnabas was from cyprus simeon uh, was a jew of dark complexion that moved in roman circles lucius was from uh, north africa Manaean had been raised in herod antipas's house that's the herod that killed john the baptist uh, and then you have saul who was trained expertly in jewish rabbinical schools That's quite a diverse team for leadership from different backgrounds and uh, different ethnicities even that are there to be this base of operations for what would become Paul's missionary journeys. Though they had diversity, we see they were unified. Now if you sit around or were a fly on the wall at an elders meeting at Grace Covenant Church, you would see we tried to do the math, I think I'm recalling it poorly, but something to the extent of 108 combined years of ministry experience and relational experience with the family at Grace Covenant Church. That's pretty remarkable. And a lot of diversity in the room by experience and age and life experience and vocation. It's beautiful how the Lord has brought us together. They were a church that was gathered together, but they didn't just show up to do something fun or to have a party. Why were they gathered? Here's something else I noticed right in the beginning text. Do you see it? Where after it lists their names there, in verse 2 it says, While they were worshiping. They were worshiping the Lord. You say, well, yeah, that's what churches do. Yeah, that's what churches are supposed to do. But I'm afraid in this day and even today, we have churches gathering for all manner of reasons, calling themselves a church, but they've closed their Bibles and tried to create some kind of experience that they're calling worship. No, friend. We have God's word to guide us to worship our Lord how he wants to be worshiped. 
Can I draw your attention to something that's remarkable about this text, though? How do I know the church was worshiping? Well, because the leaders were worshiping. You see, the text that we have here that tells us about the worshiping and I'll come to the fasting and the praying and all the setting apart and all that, all of that is about the leaders at the church at Antioch. You will not have a worshiping church if you don't have worshiping leaders in a church. You may gather, and that's important, but a gathered church ought to be a worshiping church. But a church won't worship the Lord if their leaders don't. You see, leaders ought to worship not because they're leaders, but because they've been redeemed by the Lord. They make a joyful noise unto the Lord because they're part of the earth. They serve the Lord with gladness. They worship because they know that the Lord, He is God, and it's He that made us and not we ourselves. We're the sheep of His pasture we give thanks to him we come into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise we sing and make melody in our hearts to the lord because he is good there's not leader worship and then church worship there's just worship of god but a church that's gathered ought to be worshiping and a worshiping church has leaders that worship the lord and are known for that jesus would command in John 4, the hour is coming and now is at hand when true worshipers, true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such that will worship Him. I'm afraid even in our church circles, we have people longing for a title to receive honor when they're not fulfilling basic commands as a believer. You don't have to be a leader to worship. But you all ought to pray for your leaders at Grace Covenant, for your leaders at your churches watching online, that they would be overwhelmed with that desire to worship the Lord because he's good. So we've got a worshiping church, and then we have leaders that pray and fast. That means we've got a church that fasts and prays. Do you see it? It's right there. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, even in verse 3, then after fasting and Praying. Jesus modeled prayer. I'll touch prayer. I'll touch fasting briefly this morning. Jesus modeled prayer. It wasn't just this 10-minute tromp in the morning. In fact, uh, Jacquel Crow in her book, This Changes Everything, subtitle, Parents Brace Yourself, How the Gospel Transforms the Teen Years. She was 16 years old when she wrote the book. She writes this sentence, the discipline of prayer isn't merely relegated to one 10-minute block a day. We're called by Paul to pray without ceasing. This happens when our love for and our trust in God ties us to him throughout the day. Prayer should be a constant dependence on him and natural, persistent posture of us coming to him again and again and again. I've been kind of uh, wowed by that 16-year-old's writing and some young ladies even in our church this week texting some prayer requests to the church that have been pretty profound. Praise the Lord for that. A church that's gathered to worship ought to be a praying church, ought to be known for prayer. I pray that Grace Covenant is known as a praying church church i'm excited about some things to talk to the elders about in coming weeks and months of mobilizing grace covenant church so that we're known in the south end as a praying church god help us to be a praying church and a fasting church 
I'm not going to do a dissertation on fasting this morning except to say for all the things that we've made it in modern age to be comfortable, let me remind you of the simplest definition. It's abstaining from food for the purpose of focusing our efforts or prayers. Skipping a meal, taking a day, taking a season to skip things. Well, what would we pray about faster? Souls to come to know the Lord. Lost loved ones that we have in our families that need Jesus. Maybe there's some insurmountable wall that you need to get through that you might be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded in recent days of some fasting and praying that, that I did. I was concerned that we hadn't seen any salvations in a long time as a church family. and We hadn't baptized anybody in a while. And in December, I went to the Lord and felt the call to just spend some time in prayer and fasting. Didn't tell but two other brothers about it. They didn't attend here. It was a burden on my heart. Did that. Now, it wasn't my praying and fasting, but it gave me significant focus. It helped my evangelism. It helped me with conversations. It helped me preach better. And in February, we baptized four. What would happen if all of us prayed and fasted for God to give us souls? Well, they were a fasting and praying church, and then we see number four, the Lord directs them by His Spirit the Lord directed them by His Spirit. I believe a church that is gathered and worshiping and praying and fasting will be a church that is led by the Holy Spirit. I really believe that. I think you see it right here in Acts 13. Quick lesson this morning from the text. Well, how did the Holy Spirit direct them? Let's look at just a couple of bullets. By the way, the notes are available online. I know I'm going quickly this morning. Thanks for hanging with me. Some of you are writing feverishly. I love it, taking notes. Here's the first thing that the Holy Spirit led them to do. He actually called some among them for a special mission. He singled some out. Remember the text? He said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work, not the title, but the work to which I have called them. He called some for a special mission, not a title to bear, but a work to do. Their towel of service, you've heard me mention that before, they were to be girt about with towels like Jesus serving others. Their towel was changing. He was giving them a different assignment. He had called them for a special assignment. So he called some for a special mission. Then he commissioned them through the church. So he called them and he asked the church to get involved. The Lord directs the church to get involved. So it's not just somebody saying, hey, the Lord told me I need to dot, dot, dot. It was God calling them and the brothers and sisters around that person knowing that God had called them. That's the reason we're in community together. I mean, any of us can fly off and say crazy stuff anytime we want to, right? But we keep one another's crazy in check when we're in community together. You tell me that you're called to preach. You tell me that you're called to do this amazing thing for God. And, and, and I haven't seen you at church in 11 months. Or you've never pulled up the side in 11 months. Maybe not the best example with a pandemic. But I, I'm going to push back a little bit, right? But I've got folks that say, man, tell me what it means to be a preacher. And you can see God working in their lives. And working them. They have a love for God's word. He commissioned them through the church. God called but instructed the church to set them apart. And then lastly, he connected them with the church. The church laid hands on them. Do you see it there? Verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The church laid hands on them and prayed for them. And it leads us to our final point this morning. The church sent and supported them. The church sent and supported them. 
Wow. How did it send and support them? Well, again, it sent some out on special missionary assignments. Some people are sent on special missionary assignments. Now, before, we live in a culture and a time where everybody likes, like we don't like to, to we want everybody to have all the titles, right? Everybody gets a participation award now. Uh, and I quote The Incredibles, the Disney Pixar show The Incredibles. They're like, he's graduating. She's like, you're going to miss his graduation. He's like, it's the first grade. It's just a new low for celebrating mediocrity, <laughs> right? We, we, all love uh, we all love titles, and we're like, I'm a missionary, I'm a missionary. We lovingly would say, as your Grace Covenant elders, we're all on mission, and I'll get to that in a minute, but there are some set apart to cross geographic and ethno-linguistic lines to take Christ where he's not been named. Missionaries, those that the church sends somewhere else on mission. We send some out on special missionary assignments. We send all out on great commission assignments. All of us are sent by God to fulfill the great commission. I don't want to belabor that. If you've been with me for five minutes, Grace Covenant, you've heard great commission text and call. But we're called to take the gospel to our families and to your neighbors in your neighborhood, to our neighbors in the South End and to the nations. How do we partner in doing that to the nations? Well, we partner in prayer and giving and in going and supporting when we can. And lastly, we are ascending church. We all participate in support. When you give financially, when you make a contribution to Grace Covenant Church, you don't have to designate it as missions. We give a significant portion of our giving to missions and to missionaries, and we're grateful for that. We don't support 100 missionaries. We've got a small list that we give a lot of support to, and guess what? We want to give them more. We want to find more men and women that will be on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ, crossing those lines. We take it very seriously as a church. We have high standards, but one of the things that I love about Grace Covenant Church and some of the shoulders that I'm standing on with Pastor D and the legacy of many of you behind him is that we have a relationally rich partnership with our missionaries, unlike I've seen in most churches. I'm grateful for that. And because of that, I'm grateful that we have with us this morning someone who's been sent. You see, here's the deal. Here's the crux of the sermon, if you could call it that. It's this. A gathered, worshiping, praying and fasting, right? Led by the Holy Spirit Church is a sending church. I'm gonna ask Brother Samuel to come up now and join me on the platform. He wants to share with you what this looks like, all right? We're ascending church. We want to share with you what this looks like in Bangalore. He's going to bring greetings, of course, but he wants to tell you a little bit about how they do this ministry work where the Lord has called him. Congregation, I'm going to ask you to do something we don't do, but once in a blue moon here, this is God's man uh, representing God's work there at India. Would you just do me a favor and stand to your feet just to honor the Lord and the goodness of God. Let's put our hands together and just thank God for his goodness. We're not clapping for Samuel. We're clapping for the Lord. Thank you, brother. Love you. Take your time. You may be seated. The Ministry of Bible Believing Churches and Missions and Reap International. And in particular, Dr. Jayakumar Ramachandran, my father, who has been a long time um, missionary of Grace Covenant. Uh, 
This morning I've been tasked to talk about what we do uh, in, in conjunction with the text that has been um, dealt with this morning by Pastor Chad. And so I want to start off by talking about four categories of people in that text as I talk about our ministry. You have Barnabas and the church at Jerusalem, category one. Then you have Paul, category two. You have the church at Antioch, category three. And then the fourth category would be the people at the various places that Barnabas and Paul would um, stop at during their first missionary trip. And when I look at Barnabas, um, Barnabas is the category where Grace Covenant and BBCM, the acronym for Bible Believing Churches and Missions, would fit in. Because if, if you have uh, read Acts from the beginning, you would, you would notice that Barnabas was first introduced in chapter 4, the end of chapter 4. The same chapter in which uh, Luke records for us that all the people in the church of Jerusalem sold everything they had and they brought and laid at the feet of the apostles. And Barnabas was one among them. He sold everything he had and brought and left at the feet of Jesus. Not only is he an investor in what the apostles believed, he was also a participant. That's why the church assigns him on the first missionary trip. So I think Grace Covenant and BBCM, in our partnership, this is what we're doing. We are taking what has been given to us by believers like you, and we are taking it out into the field and participating in the Great Commission in a very strategic manner. The second category, Paul, was a persecutor of the church, and Barnabas, if you read chapter 9, everybody in the church of Jerusalem was afraid to even connect with Paul because of his history of persecuting the church, but Barnabas takes it upon himself to disciple him, because that's what Every aspect of ministry at the missionary level, at the Great Commission level, or at the support level, it all boils down to making disciples. And it's not just making disciples, it's making disciples who make other disciples. And so we have uh, Barnabas who would take the risk of discipling the persecutor of the church. And not only would he disciple him, he would also venture out with him in his first missionary trip to help him become a disciple maker himself. Category number three, and that would be the church at Antioch. The church in Antioch is a daughter church of the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem predominantly comprised of the Jewish uh, converts. And the church in Antioch, which is in Syria, north of Jerusalem, 
it, it primarily comprised of the Gentiles, as was dealt with in the text, people from all parts. So what does uh, Grace Covenant and BBCM do? Grace Covenant and BBCM, in partnership, we go out on the field, we look for Pauls, we take the risk with Paul, some of whom have been persecutors of Christians themselves in the regions that we work. And we help them become disciple makers. And not only we help them be become disciple makers, we, we help them to congregate the disciples whom they have labor to make disciple makers themselves, and we call that a church plant. The church in Antioch is a reminder of how the church needs to constantly reproduce. If it does not reproduce, the church dies. Many people think that when a church becomes empty, it dies. No, a church could be full, but if it lacks its purpose, it dies. And its purpose is to make disciples. The day a church, irrespective of its size, irrespective of the programs it undertakes, the initiatives it's involved in, the day it stops making disciples and raising disciple makers, it dies. Now, when we go back, I've been to Israel only once in my life, uh, way back in 2008. I looked and looked and looked. I couldn't find the Church of Jerusalem there. No monumental structure. No people with a blood connection to people who were the first members of the church there. You couldn't, you couldn't track anything. It was almost like it never existed. But guess what? It existed. And, it, and it's because it existed that I am a believer today because it produced disciple-makers who went out into the world, and as, as Luke points out, from Jerusalem to Judea, to Judea, from Judea to Samaria, and from Samaria to the ends of the earth. And I am one of those from the ends of the earth who was visiting Jerusalem 13 years ago. So that's what we are doing on the ground. We take risks with people like Paul, whom God has called, whom God has blessed with the required skill sets to be disciple makers, and we help them plant churches like the church in Antioch, which are reproducing again. If you notice carefully here, Barnabas comes from the church of Jerusalem, but Paul has, is being sent by the church in Antioch because Paul was primarily called to reach out to the Gentiles. And the church in Antioch was a Gentile church. We raise church planters. We invest our resources on them for 36 months. We train them, we mentor them, we pray for them. We help them in areas that they lack skill sets. We fund them financially. And after 36 months, we help them to stand up on their own feet. Unless they stand up on their own feet, they cannot become disciple makers. They will be dependent on the mother church. 
We are not a denomination. We do not want to create churches under a particular banner or make a legacy thereof. We consider ourselves as stimulants of church plants. The spark that creates a fire in the movement of church planting, like what we have seen in the book of Acts. There are many things that can go wrong. There are many things that do not go as per expectations. There are many things that we cannot anticipate on the mission field. For example, the pandemic last year. How many of you were prepared for it? How many of you knew it was coming? Uh, but we look at, look at these things as something that God permits. Because these are needed, one, to remind us of God and to help people who are, you know, who do not want to consider the possibility of a divine being. It's unbelievable the number of people who actually started become serious about their faith during the pandemic. But we praise God uh, through it all. He still helps the purpose of disciple making thrive. However limited the situation may be and however limited the people involved may be, disciple making still happens. And that's what we are passionate about, and that's what we are invested in. We want to see that there is one church for every 10,000 people, a church like the church in Antioch for every 10,000 people in South Asia. Presently, we work in India, Nepal, and Sri Lanka. And we work predominantly in the rural parts because the rural parts has the least access to disciple-making as a ministry. They have access to the gospel through radio and through the media, other forms of the media, but actual disciple-making, which requires real relationships, which requires people with maturity helping others to gain maturity, least happening in the rural parts. And that's where we plant churches. It is, our, it is our desire that when we spark a church plant among or in a cluster of villages that comprises of 10,000 or more non-Christians, that that church, like the church in Antioch, would continue to multiply and produce more daughter church plants and over a period of 30 years reach those 10,000 people that we originally had set out for. And all we do is invest on the first church plant. And once the church, like the church in Antioch, is established, it takes over from us and continues to do what we have instilled in the original mother church to do. So thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I hope this was helpful in understanding what we do. It, gives you, it gave you a working knowledge 
uh, about things that you've been supporting over the years. And it's my prayer that this relationship would grow and bear much rich dividend in the future. Thank you. So how do we pray? I'm going to ask the musicians to come up now. We're going to transition to a time of worship and singing in just a moment, but as they're coming up and taking their place, how do we pray then? We, we want to pray for them, of course. We'll do that specifically. In fact, Pastor D will come after we sing two songs and lead us in praying for Samuel, specifically Brother Samuel, and for Jay and the team there in Bangalore. But how do we pray for one another? Pray for your missions team as they prayerfully consider new avenues and new people to partner with that might have this kind of God-sized vision to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, making disciples, making disciples. And then I want to challenge you to pray that God would raise up missionaries from within Grace Covenant Church, our gathered, worshiping, praying and fasting, spirit-led church because we'll be ascending church. Let's pray that our kids get on missionary pathways. That'd be exciting to see some of the children of Grace Covenant wind up in a hard place for the glory of God at some point in their lives. Let's pray for the adults. My wife and I, and I didn't poll Pastor D, but we know of, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, I have six family names on here that were in their prime earning years, some with little kids, some with still a high school in their home that said, you know what, God is calling us. We can't escape it. We've tried to run from it. We know the Lord is calling us and we're leaving. And they left everything, uprooted everything. And these are from this area, Mecklenburg and Cabarrus County. Now all over the world, two in very hard places that left to serve. Some couldn't go. They felt the call to serve in missions and doors were closed and it just seemed like they couldn't go, but they knew they were called. You know what they did? They asked the Lord to open a door locally. You know where they are? They're serving in Charlotte. They moved into an apartment complex that's all um, folks who have just migrated here. It's an immigrant community, except for them. And they moved in the community as the only non-immigrants in that apartment complex to open their home to be a light. Crossing that geographic, well, Definitely ethno-linguistic and cultural line to share the gospel. There's a place for all of us in God's work. And some of you, God may call to send on a special mission. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we recognize that uh, if we never want to look like a fool, we should never share our faith. Lord, if we never stand for righteousness on a social issue, we'll never be rejected. We'll never be accused of being a killjoy as long as we go along with the flow of all that this culture thrusts at us. Lord, we'll never be taken advantage of as long as we don't reach out to anyone in need. We'll never have our heart broken as long as we don't love others. And we'll never probably have a heart-convulsing confrontation with Satan like these missionaries did as long as we don't follow you into your work. We recognize that's not what you've called us to, Lord. If we seriously follow you, we're going to experience sorrows and troubles and trials, but sweet victory as well. The joy of the adventure with you, the Lord of this universe, and the spiritual victory you give as we live a life on mission 
and obedience to you is worth the living. Do whatever needs to be done in our hearts that we might be a worshiping individual, a praying and fasting individual, a Holy Spirit-led individual so that we might be a part of a sending body committed to making disciples of our neighbors and the nations. Let the church say amen. Let's sing together.